This is The Hidden Wire Podcast, episode 813. This is my interview with Nia Ayal. I hope you enjoy. Hey, what's cracking? Welcome to another interview on The Hidden Wire Podcast. I hope you guys are well. Lee Manutzi here, guys. Thank you once again for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying these interviews. Today, guys, is without exception. It's a fantastic conversation, and it is with Nia Ayal. I hope I pronounced that right, Nia. Nia Ayal, he is the author of the international bestseller, Hooked. Now, if you haven't heard of that book or haven't read that book, I highly recommend having a read of that, even reading it before his new book, which is Indestructible. So Hooked, he actually showed the psychology and research behind how people become hooked on certain products and how it changes our behaviors, sometimes in good ways and sometimes probably in not so good ways. And he wanted to democratize, I suppose, the design features that some of these companies are putting into their products to really get our attention and gain our attention. But there's also a level of distraction that comes to this. And I guess we're all familiar with that level of distraction these days. With our iPhones, we're jumping on there, we're going to Facebook, we're going to Instagram, whatever it might be, there's a lot of distractions in our world and it's not as easy as just removing distractions as Nia discovered. And that's what he really wants to highlight in this book. There's a simple guide to help us regain our attention so we can re-choose or I guess choose the life that we want to live. And that's by combating our addiction to technology and to regain our attention so we once again can choose life. Guys, I hope you enjoy this interview with Nia Ayal. Thanks. G'day Nia, welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast. Great to have you here. Likewise, thanks so much for having me. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure. I read, actually I listened to the book Hooked um, a few years back now and thoroughly enjoyed it. The, uh, the content was just so engaging and the insight as to how technologies and products um, gain our attention and really hook us um, was just fascinating. It's out of this world. So perhaps we can start there and, and maybe a little bit of a background as to, to what got you there and why you wrote that book. Sure thing. Yeah. So Hooked is really about how to build habit-forming products. I wrote it about five years ago. It's been published now. And uh, it's it was meant to democratize these techniques used by companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack, these companies that are so good at changing mm. our attention and creating our habits. And so if we want to get really good at something, we want to look at the best in the business. And so the idea was to help all sorts of companies use these same techniques to help people get hooked to healthy habits. And that's exactly what's happened. So companies have used the book to build uh, apps that um, create exercise habits and habits to help people save money through apps. Uh, one of the apps I highlight in the book, one of the case studies in the, in the back of the book is the Bible. <laughs> it's uh, one of the most popular apps in the Apple app store is the Bible yeah. and how they wow. use the hook model to get people into the habit of, of reading scripture. So, so the book is really about how to use the deeper psychology of product design, of of uh, what grabs our attention and keeps us coming back, so that we can also sorts of products better. Now, when I I wrote the book, uh, it was on nobody's mind that these products could become things that uh, we overuse. The problem that everybody had back then was that mm. you know they made products that people didn't care about, <laughs> that nobody was using. And frankly, that still is the problem for the vast majority of products and services out there. Uh, but there are What's some. That? Sorry, is that people don't care about these products 
Right. Exactly. Right. The average, you know, you think about the, the average, uh, uh, local businesses website or app, or mm. the, you're interacting with government services or, you know, the, the software you have to use at work, you know, th- these products don't suck us in, uh, not the way that, you know, Facebook and Twitter might No, they, they just plain old suck. <laughs> and so that, that's the idea behind the book is how do we get products to become the kind of products that people want to use as opposed to feeling like they have to use. Yeah. And look, I mean, I suppose a lot of these products that people can relate to is Facebook and Twitter and those sort of things, which a lot, there's a lot of talk nowadays that uh, they've become unhealthy and and really distract our attention and um, really disrupt our lives in an unhealthy way. And is, is that something that you're conscious of? Absolutely. I mean, I, I wrote the book to solve my own problems. <laughs> yeah. right? That's that's why I write. I, I write books that uh, I don't, I don't want to write a book that's already been written before. And so, you know, I found that I was becoming distracted by many of these technologies uh, to an unhealthy extent. Uh, I was using my device when I wanted to be with loved ones. I was um, being distracted from the work I had to do, you know, whenever something got difficult, I'd, I'd decide to Google something or check email for a minute or whatever. Uh, and so I was very frustrated by this and and I thought the problem was the technology and I thought, well, I, I wrote the book hooked. I mean, I, I know the deeper psychology behind how these products are built. So I'll, I'll figure out how to fix it. Uh, and so I, I did my own engineering. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, I first at first, I, you know, I wanted to read every book on the topic about this first, you know, to see what what other experts say. And uh, I found this real disparity between what the self-help community says to do and what the academics say to do right. that the, the self-help books out there when it comes to personal productivity and focus and, you know, getting things done type stuff, they they basically just say, get rid of the distractions. Yeah. Right. Your yeah. cell phone is the problem. The companies are hijacking your brain. Uh, Facebook is bad for you. You know, all these things are bad for you. Get rid of it. Do a digital detox. Go on a 30 day, you know, plan. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work. <laughs> it well, doesn't I, work. I sort of, you know, and I, I probably preach that a little bit, too. I mean, if we clear the distractions away, if we have a nice, clean environment and we don't have those things that uh, might grain our attention, then we can focus on that thing right in front of us. Yes and no. It works for a while. It works the same. So I used to be clinically obese, and really? I remember when I was trying Surprising, to, to, to lose weight. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's any of me obese online, but uh, you, you you may be able to dig some up. But anyway, I, I I used to do what a lot of folks do. I would do fad diets, right? I would uh, gotcha. no fast food for thirty days. Hmm. Uh, but then you know what happens on day thirty one, right? You you blah, you gorge on everything that you you missed. And so the idea is that if you don't deal with the deeper reasons why we get distracted, then we will always be distracted by something. 100%. And so mm. this model of, of becoming indistractable is all about the, the root causes, right? Not the proximate causes. It's not the, 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 the food companies making you fat necessarily. It's, it's not the technology companies that are hijacking your brain. Of course, they play a role, but really – we have to deal with what's really going on inside of us and to learn these techniques on, uh, th- that any one of us can use to become indistractable. And it's not just about tech. I, I originally started to write about, you know, bad tech habits, but I realized that it, this is a much bigger problem, uh, because frankly, we, we all know basically what to do, right? If you want, if you want to be healthy, eat right, exercise. If you want to have good relationships, be fully present. If you want to be more productive at work, do the goddamn work, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We mm. know what you have to do. Why don't we do it? 
right? Why don't we do what we know we should? That's the big question of the book. The complexities of the uh, the human brain, huh? Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, I don't know. I mean, you, we talked a lot about tech in, in Hooked and, and how we can really create these strong behaviors um, through these cleverly designed products. And I mean, that's your background, isn't it? Behavioral design. Right, right. Yeah. So a lot of these solutions to um, regaining our attention or, or becoming indestructible um, sounds like then there are a lot of Band-Aid solutions like the fad diet, whereas we're not right, tapping so that, into that, the deeper the reason why people start these things in the first place. Exactly. So, you know, vilifying tech, not, not that I'm saying I'm not a tech apologist. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things that the tech industry should be held to account for. But when it comes to the specific problem of Netflix, your shows are so good. I want to watch them all the time. Facebook, your products are so engaging. I want to, I want to interact with them all the time. Slack, you keep me in touch with work all the time. And I want to, I want to constantly check you. It's not going away, right? You know, complaining about it and saying the technology is the source of the problem is not correct, right? It's just, it's just not true uh, from, from a psychological basis. We will always find distractions. We always have struggled with distraction. And it's not helpful because these, te- these tools are not going anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. We can't close Pandora's box and put everything back in it. Uh, so we have to learn ways to adapt to these technologies. And so what I, what I, what I wanted to give folks is a, is a toolkit, is a picture in their mind that they can use Whenever they say to themselves, damn it, I wanted to do that thing and I went off track. I knew what I should have done and somehow I didn't, I didn't do it. You know, I, I, I wanted to exercise. I didn't. I wanted to eat right. I didn't. I wanted to get that big project done and I got distracted checking email or, or group chat channels or chit chatting with, with Bill from accounting, right? <laughs> Whatever the distraction is, yeah. I want people to understand why those distractions occur so that they can do something about them. Yeah. A lot of these distractions have infiltrated our lives nowadays, and before they were here, I mean, you're saying that we were, we've always been easily distracted by something. Um, mm-hmm. Tech is obviously more prominent in our lives today, so there's a lot more, I, I suppose, I feel there must be a lot more ease of being distracted. Is that something you'd agree with? Right. So I think, you know, this day and age, if you are not prepared, they're going to get you. That it is just too easy. That's scary, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, it's, it's effective. And look, it's, you know, uh, Kierkegaard said that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. And I, I really love that quote because I think it really epitomizes our time. We have so many options these days. We have so much freedom. If you want to learn about pretty much any subject on earth, you, there, you, there are endless articles you can read. There are endless videos you can watch, endless news stories you can, you can uh, participate in, endless discussions discussions on Twitter. There's so much freedom to do all, you know, to interact with all of these potential uh, distractions that we are, are dizzy. We Is that are because we have too much time. freedom as far as freedom with our time and, and how we can use that time. We're not locked into jobs that require our 10 hour attention span for a day or well, that, that is part of it. I mean, you know, look, I, this is, I don't think this book is, is going to be read by people who are uh, working on a production line or in, in, in the fields, you know, that where their attention yeah. has to be focused on the task at hand uh, all the time. This is really a book for knowledge workers, hmm. uh, people whose output, what they make for a living 
is solutions, right? Mm. That's what knowledge work really is. Knowledge work, no matter what fields you're in, it's about coming up with novel solutions to complex problems. Uh, even if that, that solution is about customer service, if it's about treating your customers right, you're, you, you have to think about how to do this stuff. You have to mm. reflect a bit about how to get better at what you do and service your, your clients and customers and, and colleagues. The problem is that so few people these days have time to reflect. You know, when I when I did research for this book, I yeah, want to see you know, so is this really a problem for mm. for people other than me? Right? I definitely had this problem, but did other people suffer from this problem? And I would ask folks, you know, is is concentration, is thinking about a problem part of your job? Is focus uh, and reflection required to do your job? And almost everybody told me yes. And yet, when I asked them, you know, is that time in your schedule? Do you get time for this? Say no. Our days are so full of reaction, of reacting to meetings, reacting to emails, reacting to to group chat messages, that we have no time to reflect. And I think that's a that's a big mistake. I think that's part of the reason why so many people feel like even though we have more technology and we're more connected, we're not more productive. All these tools think, that are supposed to allow us to be more productive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Now, right. There's two and, different and, terms that you said: focus and reflect. And now they're they're two different types of things. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I, th- I think that you know having the ability to focus on a, on a task and making the time for reflection are are uh, they're hand in glove, but they're not necessarily the same things. So it's still the attention and how we use that time. I mean, that's what the use of time is. And if we're whether we're focusing or reflecting, that's uh, the attention needs to be there in that moment, not being distracted right. by all these other texts and apps and all that sort of stuff. Exactly. So it, maybe it's helpful actually to define what I mean by distraction. So in order to understand what is distraction, hmm. we have to understand what it is not. What's the opposite of distraction? And the, the opposite of distraction is not necessarily focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. So we have traction on one side, distraction on the other. Traction, by the way, they both come from the same Latin root, meaning uh, for, the word is trahare, which means to pull. Traction is any action, you know, it's both traction and distraction, they end in the same word. They both end in A-C-T-I-O-N, action. Mm-hmm. Traction and distraction. Uh, traction is any action you take that pulls you towards what you want, things that you do with intent. Distraction is the opposite of that, yeah. anything you do that pulls you away from what you want. I now, really like that. this is important because it, it helps us define what these two things are for us. Now, I'm not one of these moralists that says, look, you know, um, uh, stop playing with your phone because that's bad for you, right? That, uh, somehow candy crush is any more, uh, morally superior or inferior to watching rugby or, you know, whatever. They're both pastimes. There's nothing morally wrong with it. No. What's wrong with it. I think what's corrosive about it is when we do any of these things, when we didn't intend Yes. if you want to spend your time on Facebook or watching television or, or, or playing candy crush, more power to you if it's aligned with your values and it's what you want to do with your time. Where it's corrosive is when you're doing things on the app maker's schedule or because of the the, the television company's, uh, you know, the broadcasting company's schedule or because the, the newspaper wants you to, to, to read something and not because it's something you want to do. Yeah, so it's taking your action away from the goals and things and the way you want to live your life. That's right. I mean, if we look at addiction and I mean, that's, you know, these things do have our, they hook us and they have our addiction, I suppose, to a lot of them. And I mean, how do you define that? And is that a part of it all as well? Or is that sort of two separate things now? So addiction is distractions 
uh, superpowered ugly cousin. Uh, addiction is is a different category. The definition of addiction is a persistent compulsive dependency on a behavior or substance yeah. that harms the user. So it's something that that's when there's got to be some level harm, of suffering that comes from the action. Right. Right. So not only is there harm, not only is that a self defeating behavior, which distraction is as well, but it is incredibly hard for the 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 the, the the person who's suffering from the addiction to stop. Not impossible, but addiction is a pathology, right? And that's how we should think about it. A lot of people, you know, use this, it's become almost meaningless. Everything's addictive these days. And we use this term way too much. Addiction is a pathology. Uh, and it turns out that about one to 5% of the population suffers from some sort of real addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, the, the, the rest of us, it's not an addiction. It's perhaps a, a bad habit or bad a distraction. Habit. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I really like that, um, yeah, definition of traction and distraction. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm, it took me a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good. I love those things. But, but the, the, so that's the two, two parts of this model. There's actually two more parts. Uh, so there's four parts in total. So if you can picture this number line uh, with traction on the right, distraction on the left, Mm-hmm. And that's the directions of your actions, of your behaviors. You can either do something that is traction or something that is distraction. Now, what prompts you to traction or distraction, what prompts you to any behavior is two things, either an external trigger or an internal trigger, only two things. So you can think of this model like a plus mark, right? Envision a plus mark in your in your mind. And uh, on the horizontal line, you have arrows pointing out, traction, distraction. On the vertical line, you have arrows pointing in. And those two arrows pointing in represent external triggers, things in our environment that prompt us to action, you know, the pings, dings, rings, all of these things that prompt us to either traction or distraction. Or you have the the internal triggers. Now, internal triggers is something that that few people kind of think about when they think about distraction, but it turns out to be the biggest culprit. Because what I learned and what what really kind of shocked me was to learn that most distraction starts from within. That is it is these internal triggers that prompt us most often to distraction. Now, what are internal triggers? Well, let's, let's start with the question of not only why do we get distracted, hmm. why do we do anything? Let's, let's get down really to brass tacks of, 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 of first principles of why do we do anything? Well, most I, people will yeah, tell you. Yeah, yeah, I like this. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the hidden why. Here, what's the hidden well, this why? This is the motivation behind everything we do. And when yeah. it comes from an intrinsic level or an internal source, it's going to be more powerful, whether that's in a good way or a bad way. That's right. That's right. So when most people, you ask them, okay, what motivates human behavior? They'll probably give you some version of carrots and sticks. They'll tell you that uh, it's Freud's pleasure principle, that all behavior is motivated by the desire to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Yep. Turns out neurologically, it's not true. Hmm. That it's not about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. Okay. Turns out that neurologically speaking, all behavior is about the avoidance of discomfort. It's pain all the way down. Even the pursuit of pleasure is itself uncomfortable. Desire, craving, wanting, these things are uncomfortable. There's a reason we say love hurts, right? Passion, passion. Hmm. Exactly. We want craving. These things, neurologically speaking, are uncomfortable. That's the way the brain gets us to act. It's super obvious when we think about physiological sensations, right? When you think about um, if you go outside and it's cold, your brain tells you to act, put on a coat. If it's hot, you take it off. If you're hungry, you feel hunger pangs, you eat. And then if you eat too much, you're stuffed. Oh, that doesn't feel good. You stop eating. So those are physiological sensations. 
The same rules apply to psychological sensations. So when we are feeling lonely, we check Facebook. When we're uncertain, we Google. When we're bored, we check the news, we check sports scores, uh, Reddit, uh, all kinds of products and services cater to this uncomfortable sensation. Hmm. So if all behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort, that then means that time management is pain management. So the first step to understanding distraction is to understand how to master these internal triggers. That has to be the first step, or you will always get distracted by something. But that's just the first of these four steps. Gotcha. I'm just taking some notes here. So pain management. Yeah, pain management, or time management is pain management. Mm. We often, yeah, I mean, to try and manage the discomfort and the pain, we seek these pledges. That's why we move towards these things, yeah? Like you just said, like if we're lonely, we go towards, you know, Facebook and check on the likes Mm -hmm. that we've got and see who we're connected with, and that makes us feel a little bit better about our discomfort. Right, that's right, that's right. So there's there's really only two solutions here, Um, and the two solutions are to either figure out what the source of the discomfort is and fix it, or learn techniques to cope with the discomfort you can't change, hmm. right? So half the book is about things that you yourself can do. But, you know, we, we have to realize that we also operate in environments that may produce these negative sensations. So uh, I, I think the most important section of the book and how it's going to be most practical to, to most folks is this section around the workplace and how to build an indistractable workplace. And what I was fascinated to, to discover yeah is that there are there's a confluence of two factors within a workplace uh, that studies have found that cause, not just are correlated with, but actually cause workplace depression and anxiety disorder. So they actually create workplace, uh, they create uh, anxiety and depression disorder. And those confluence of these two factors, according to this study conducted by Stansfield and Candy, was that you have conditions where you have high expectations mm-hmm. with low control. You can have one or the other, but if you have both of those things, you have a very dangerous work environment. And it turns out high that expectation when you work, and low control. If we have both of those things, that's right. If you if you have very high expectations but very little agency to do anything gotcha. with yeah. those expectations, these are the type of work environments that actually lead to depression, anxiety disorder, and that is the source of the internal triggers for many people that drive them to distraction. So there's a, there's a, a section in the book where I talk about why. And I can relate to a job where I was like that. And it was very high yeah. expectation and very low control. Me too. Where, where did you work, if I can ask? <laughs> it was a uh, startup tech company, actually, um, in, sale, uh-huh. in the sales role. Excellent. Okay, perfect Perfect example. Very right. so anxious, if you feel, very anxious. <laughs> right. And so what do people do when they feel stress, anxiety, uncertainty, fatigue? What do they do? They look for relief because, again, all discomfort or all behavior is motivated by a desire to escape discomfort. So, what do they do? Yeah. They send an email. They check Slack channels. They call meetings to feel a sense of agency to restore that homeostasis, to mm. restore that balance of you see, I can get in control of this. But of course, they're using technology to perpetuate this toxic culture. But it's the culture that that is the source of the problem itself, not the tech tools. Yeah, yeah, and if you can't find the uh, some level of comfort in trying to gain control internally in that organization, then you look externally. You go elsewhere. Yeah, 
That's true. Yeah, you hit the bottle. You, yeah. uh, you 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 watch TV too much. You do something to take your mind off of of these stressors. You know, it's interesting because I I profile two companies. One is the Boston Consulting Group where I used to work that used to have that this exact type of work condition, but they actually reformed their culture. Now they no longer have this problem of distraction. Mm. And then I also do a profile of of Slack, which is this group chat company, this group chat app that so many people blame for causing distraction, and yet. At Slack, you know, you would think this company, if technology causes distraction, well, then therefore, the people who work at this company and use the use the technology every day should be the most distracted people on earth, <laughs> and that's not the case. Hmm. They are incredibly diligent about about this culture that they have uh, of helping people focus and do what it is they say they're going to do. So at six o'clock on the dot, that office is cleared out. And if you if you uh, reach out to somebody on weekends or evenings, you'll get chastised. People will tell you that's not what we do here. <laughs> so the book is really about you know how do you build that kind of culture? How do you build a workplace environment that supports uh, people becoming indistractable? Mm. Mm. Interesting. So where where do we go? I mean, to to help us understand uh, our distractions and what we should be moving towards and, and not being distracted by. Yeah, so maybe it'd be helpful to kind of flesh out the the model. So this this plus mark that we talked about uh, yeah. is that what you call it? The way is, uh, maybe people have different terms for it. You know, the the plus sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah I got it. Addition okay. plus. Yep. So addition exactly. So if if so, at the top are the internal triggers. So the first step has to be mastering your internal triggers by either fixing the source of the problem or learning how to cope with it. Mm. Uh, and I talk about these these three different strategies about how you can cope with the internal trigger. You can reimagine the trigger itself, you can reimagine the task, and you can reimagine your temperament. Uh, I don't advise uh, meditation and mindfulness. Not, not that those techniques don't work, but they've been written about ad nauseum, so I wouldn't really want to give people something new and different nice. that they may yeah, not yeah. Have, have heard. But how do we understand these internal triggers without all the distraction already. I mean, I think that's, like you said, there's no time for a reflection. We, we, we are too distracted to even have that time for a reflection, but we need reflection time to start to understand what are so these that, internal drivers. That's the perfect intro to the next step. After we master the internal triggers, the second step is to make time for traction. And uh, this, is, this is such a, a, a common uh, complaint, and yet so fixable. Uh, it turns out that two-thirds of people do not keep a schedule of any kind. And what that means is that if you don't know what traction is for you, if you don't define what it is you wanted to do, mm. I'll be honest, you have no right to say that you're distracted. Because if you don't know what you got distracted from, you know you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Yeah. And so that means we have to plan out our day. And uh, when I tell people this, they say, oh, you know, that's, that's too rigid. I, 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 I can't have that kind of rigidity to plan out my day. I want to be flexible. I want to be free. Uh, I don't want constraints. And it turns out that that is a really self-defeating belief. Because, hmm. yeah, because if you don't plan that time, the fact is in this day and age, somebody else will plan it for you. Your time will get eaten up. And frankly, I'm not saying what to do. If you want time to sit and daydream, terrific. Plan that in your day. Schedule Put the daydream. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, I mean, I'm very scheduled, so I need that routine and I know, um, and I can, I've got it at the moment where I've got this little, little level of anxiousness because if I can see that my routine somehow going to be disrupted, that upsets me and that creates some discomfort. Mm -hmm. Whereas I've on routine, I've got the day planned out and I'm pretty rigid with how my schedule runs. Yeah. 
it gives me that sense of control and it gives me that traction towards where I want to go. But I know there's a lot of people that aren't like that. They're not that rigid. They're not that right. scheduled, you know. And I'm, I'm well, sure I, we've got I, to there have... There is a correlation there. Yeah, yeah. What's, I'm sorry, what's that? I'm sure there's got to be a way to cater for that audience too, like, you know, because there, there are, I've got friends who are, are just, you know, off the bat. They don't really seem to have this, this logical schedule every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, if, if distraction is not a problem for you, Hmm. then this topic is not going to be helpful. <laughs> like if it's, if you love your life and you're good, then, you know, well, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe they're, maybe they're <laughs> totally not, you know, they just love their, their yeah. I don't know. They just don't seem to be distracted and they, they love everything they do and they, they do it well without the solid maybe, schedule. Maybe. Mm, that, interesting. Mm-hmm. And that happens, right? If, if you're not suffering from this problem. However, for most people that I talk to these days, there's there's so much they want to do that they they don't have time for they 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 or the things that they know they should be doing with their day that they just don't do hmm. uh, and so for those folks you know there's there's such a strong correlation between this habit that you have this routine of of planning out your day uh, and the kind of people who do uh, achieve high high performance ends right when you look at C level executives almost across the board, you will see them carrying around a little clipboard with their day time boxed by the minute to where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. And this is one of the most well-studied tactics that you can use. Uh, It's called making an implementation intention. Hundreds of studies have found how impactful this technique is. Uh, Because look, you know, freedom, having an open day, it sounds good, but, you know, too much freedom uh, is, 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 is not conducive to performance. We need constraints, right? An artist hates looking at a blank canvas. A writer hates looking at a blank page. That's the hardest part. Mm. So having constraints around your day actually can help you do way more. So it's not only about finding the time to do the things you want to do. It's also about synchronizing your schedule with the various stakeholders in your life, with your family, with your, your colleagues, your boss, and most importantly, with yourself. So it's about also sitting down and having time in your schedule to say, okay, what does my schedule look like for the week ahead? Uh, I actually can give you a a link to uh, a tool I built that's totally free. I just got frustrated that I couldn't find it anywhere else to build an ideal weekly template for yourself uh, where you can turn your values into time. You know, I want you to be able to visualize if you showed me your calendar, could I see what's important to you? Right? Mm. Is there time for your health, for your your continued uh, growth, uh, for time for your friends, for time for your family, for the things that matter in your job? Could I see that on your schedule? For most people, unfortunately, the answer is no. So mm. what you have to do is to turn your values into time, make time for traction. That's step two. Yeah. What I struggle with mostly is when I when I have like a, a day off um, and I've got nothing scheduled, mm-hmm. it frustrates the heck out of me. And that's when I can get really distracted or really annoyed. I've, I've got to be doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so planning ahead is, 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 a, is a great step, which, which actually leads to the, the third step, which is to hack back the external triggers. So we talked about these external triggers, you know, the pings and dings and rings, all of these things that prompt you to do something you didn't plan to do. So after you've mastered the internal triggers, after you've planned your day, what do you do when you said you wanted to do one thing? And then you get this uh, notification that says, you know, you should do something else or uh, an urgent phone call or, you know, Bill from accounting wants to talk to you. Just signed in. What do you do with these external triggers? What's that? Uh, Just just signed in. Yeah, someone's just signed in. So you get that distraction and you jump on there and off off from the, uh, the writing of the book or whatever it might be. 
Exactly, exactly. So this is where this is probably the most tactical part, uh, which is really about asking yourself this fundamental question of <clears throat> is this external trigger? Is this serving you or are you serving it? Hmm. And then we have to kind of religiously banish the external triggers that don't serve us. Turns out two thirds of people with a smartphone never change their notification settings. That's crazy, right? We can't complain about technology being bad for us and distracting us if we don't take the, the 10, 15 minutes to adjust the notification setting. Yeah, so yeah. it starts with our technology. So these external triggers are, are really like what we started the conversation off with. You know, people just say remove distractions. That's what we're talking about now. Right, right. So that's 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 what the but but again, if you don't first deal with the internal, internal triggers ones, and yep. make and and make time for traction, 100%. it's for not. It's yep. not going to be effective. You have to do that third. Yeah. Um, but and there's other environments. You know, people think about on your phone, on your computer, but it also turns out that we have all sorts of distractions inside meetings. Right? Meetings can be a huge source of time wasting distraction. Oh yeah. Uh, open floor plan offices. Right? Yep. People coming by your desk and interrupting you. So I talk about these eight different environments where we can hack back our external triggers. Okay. What's an example? Um, so for, for example, so in, so one of the most common problems that I hear, I think this is probably number one on the list, even though few, few folks realize how much of a distraction it is, is, uh, the interruptions that you get from the open floor plan office. You know, right. it used to be that everybody had an office with a door that you could close when you wanted to do focus work. Well, Today, you know, anybody can stop by your desk, and this was mostly promoted because it uh, saves companies a ton of money. You can cram in a lot more employees uh, per, per per square meter by by putting them in open floor plan offices. <laughs> but I, hate that, I hate them. I hate them. Yeah, they're terrible for focus. So what do you do about it? Yeah. So I took inspiration. There was a, a, a group of nurses in uh, UCSF uh, who did this amazing study that tried to figure out how to bring down the third leading cause of death in the United States. Now, you won't believe what it is. The third leading cause of death in, in the United States, number one is, is cancer. Number two, I'm sorry, number one is heart disease. Number two is cancer. Number three, if it were a disease, would be prescription mistakes. Hmm. People getting uh, the wrong medication or the wrong dosage of medication from their healthcare practitioner, from the nurse or from the doctor. Is that right? Okay. Wow. Inside hospitals. This is a completely preventable problem. They found a way to reduce prescription mistakes by 88%. Uh -huh. And it wasn't some multi-million dollar program. They used plastic vests. Plastic vests that the nurses could wear that told their colleagues, I'm not to be interrupted right now. I'm doing my medication rounds. Right, reduce medication mistakes by eighty-eight percent. So we're not. I'm not telling you to go wear a plastic vest at work, but inside the book, in the middle of the book, is a cardstock piece of paper that you can pull out. You can even download this if you don't want to buy the book. It's free on my website. You can get it there and print this for yourself. You pull it out of the book. You fold it into thirds and you put it on your monitor on your computer screen. And this little red sign says, "I'm indistractable. Please come back later." Yeah. And the idea is to give yourself that 30 minutes, 45 minutes to do that focused work without interruption. Because, you know, just putting on headphones doesn't tell people that you can't be interrupted, right? You might be listening to a, a podcast or, or the news or who knows what, and they'll still interrupt you. Yeah. So the idea is to make some kind of, of signal to others to tell them you are not to be in, uh, distracted right now. That's so that's cool just one, hmm. one of the many techniques. Yeah, I like it. 
I um yeah. I particularly can't work in those environments. I just they 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 distract me to no end, and I have to either I just remove myself basically to make it. Work. I hear you. Yeah. Well, this this might have this might save you from having to leave that environment, <laughs> putting up the little screen sign. That's really cool. What what um what other interesting studies did you find there about these external distractions? That's that's a great one. The open work plan office. Yeah. So the, so when it comes to the the external triggers, the, the, these, the environments. Yeah, the eight environments. Right. So there's all these different environments like group chat and phone. You know how to make your phone indistractable, your computer indistractable. Uh, lots of different things that you can do there. I think it's it's important just to finish the four parts. Maybe yeah. we can just talk about the the fourth part, which is to prevent distraction with pacts. So this is the one technique that that is a little bit dangerous if it's used inappropriately um, because it can backfire. So I want to give you a word of warning there. But the idea is after you've done the other three, so after you've mastered internal triggers, after you've made time for traction, after you've hacked back external triggers, the fourth step is to prevent distraction with pacts. Now, Pacts are the, the this, this age-old uh, technique of making what's called a pre-commitment. A uh, pre-commitment device simply says you are uh, making a promise to yourself in advance. You're taking some kind of action in advance to prevent you from not doing something you don't want to do in the future. So think about uh, a retirement account that has heavy penalties uh, if you try and take out the money early. Okay, mm-hmm. so we can use these pre-commitments in three different ways. We can make pacts with ourselves. Some sort of accountability. Hmm. In a way, yeah. So the first type of pact is an effort pact. So it's using some kind of bit of work, some kind of effort that makes it more difficult for you to do something you don't want to do. So for example, my wife and I, night after night, were having trouble getting to bed on time. Right? I I would check email and social media and, you know, just one more thing for the office. And I wouldn't get to bed on time, night after night. Now, we all know, you know, there's, there's just mounds and mounds of evidence about how important quality sleep is, but I, I wasn't getting to bed on time. Mm. So we got this, uh, this outlet timer at the hardware store. It was very inexpensive. And we set the timer to 10 o'clock every night. And every night at 10 p.m., our internet router shuts off. Nice. Okay. Now we could go and you know and unplug it and replug in our yeah, router, right? Yeah. We it, it takes some, but it takes some effort to do that thing, right? Mm-hmm. To do the thing that we we don't want to do to get back online past ten o'clock. So that's a form of an effort pact. Yeah. Then you can take what's called a price pact, where you have some kind of cost associated with doing something that you didn't want to do. So some kind of uh, a fiscal um, uh, penalty for doing something that you go off track. This has actually been shown to be the most effective way uh, to help smokers quit is having them put a bit of their own money up front. And so I talk about many ways that we can use this to fight distraction. And then finally, and to me, this was one of the most fascinating ways that we can use uh, pre-commitments and packs, is to make an identity pact. Okay. An identity pact is when we form some kind of, uh, of identity structure for ourselves that prevents us from doing something we don't want to do. And this insight came to me, and, and, and later the, the research backed it up, that uh, religions use this all the time, right? That when someone is a devout Muslim, yeah. they don't debate to themselves, hmm, you know, should I have that beer or not? No, Muslims don't drink alcohol, and a devout Muslim doesn't have this conflict to themselves. Uh, a, an Orthodox Jew doesn't say, hmm, should I have some bacon today? No, Orthodox Jews don't eat pork 
period. And so it's, it doesn't require any willpower uh, for them to avoid doing something they don't want to do because they have an identity built around yeah, this. So, well, okay. Yeah, so there's a, a joke that goes, you know, how do you know someone's vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Right. Uh, and you can substitute all kinds of things, you know, whether it's uh, someone who eats keto or someone who's into CrossFit or, you know, someone, it, it doesn't matter. You, you can find a substitute for almost any identity that people use because it helps shape your behaviors. So another thing that every religion does, every major religion, is that they proselytize, right? Every, every major religion looks for more converts. Now, why do they do that? Part of that, of course, is to increase the members of the flock. But there's another reason, and that reason, it turns out, is because teaching others about your identity reinforces your own self-perception. And so we can change our behavior by adopting a new moniker, and that is why this book is called Indistractable. This is our new identity that we can use to tell people why we do these strange things. Why do you put that sign on your screen to tell people to go away when you're, when you're doing focus work? Oh, I'm indistractable. Why don't you respond to my text messages? Oh, you see, I'm, I'm indistractable, so they're going to have to wait for a little while. Uh, what, you know, why do you schedule every minute of your day? You see, I'm indistractable. That's why I do these things. Hmm. And it's, it's, this is why I call the skill of the century. Because in this day and age, we need to pull out the, the heavy artillery. right? If we want to do the things that we want to do in life, we have to take these steps. We have to learn how to become indistractable. It's controlling our attention, isn't it? That's exactly right. And choosing your life. That's the, the subtitle of the book, exactly. <laughs> well, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the identity piece is is profound. I mean, that's got to be one of the most impactful things we could do if we can really tap into that indistractable identity. Um, that's going to make these habit formations a lot lot easier, I suppose, moving forward. Absolutely. 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 And if you think it's hard now, you know, what I, I, I tell folks, you know, if you think the world is distracting now, uh, just wait a few years, yeah. <laughs> right? like whatever new technology comes around, that's going to be even more distracting, even more pervasive, even more persuasive. Uh, that's why it's so important to teach this stuff to our kids. There's a, there's a whole section that I talk about how to raise indistractable children. Uh, because you know, the, the, we really have to teach our kids how to deal with this stuff. And, and, and that doesn't include excising it from their life because look, if you don't know how to use technology these days, you're at a real disadvantage. Yeah, absolutely. So we, mm. we don't have to get rid of it. We can know how to use it in a constructive way and make sure that we get the best of it without letting it get the best of us. Absolutely. What do you find, um, with the, this whole indistractable piece, um, the whole community around us are very distracted and they're very used to these technologies and everyone's, you know, expects things straight away. Mm. And once we start becoming indistractable, there's this level of, it almost seems like we're ignorant or arrogant and, you know, inconsiderate of others because we don't respond to the text message until, Mm. you know, 24 hours later. Do you sort of look into that and that research and how that's going to be impacted or changed? Yes, you know, I th- I think this is actually becoming um, the the new fitness. You know that well, it's when, like smoking look, now, isn't it? Really, I yeah. mean, you look around at smokers, and it's it's one of those things. You go, ooh, what are they doing over there? You know, it's it's yeah, one it's of those true. Things that are 
Distasteful. It's very, very smoking is a, is a really good analogy in, in some ways. In other ways, it's not a great analogy because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, uh, technology is like cigarettes. And in some ways, it's nothing like cigarettes because, you know, there's no nicotine entering the bloodstream. These are these are behaviors, right? We're not freebasing Facebook. We're not injecting Instagram, right? These are these are behaviors. These aren't drugs. Well, some people might be. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But uh, but on the other hand, it is like like uh, like cigarettes because, you know, l- look how far we've come with cigarettes. You know, I remember uh, I grew up uh, in, in the '80s. I was born in the late '70s, but I, I, I have my first memories in the in the in the '80s. And I remember in my home we had ashtrays hmm. all over the house. Yeah. Now my parents didn't smoke, right? But yet we had ashtrays all over because back then, when someone came to your home, they just expected to light up. Yeah, yeah. Right? It was it was considered rude to ask them to go outside if they wanted to smoke. Well, today, if someone came to my home and decided to, you know, smoke in my living room, I'd kick him out. We wouldn't be friends anymore. Because we've changed the norms, right? I call <laughs> this is called social antibodies, right? And yeah. and you can say, "Oh, but legislation did that." No. There's no law that says that someone can't smoke in another person's home. No law says that. We've changed our culture around where it's appropriate and inappropriate to do certain behaviors. And that's a big reason why we went from 60% of the adult U.S. population uh, who smoked to today it's only 14% of the U.S. population smokes because we've changed these social antibodies. And that's exactly what's going to happen uh, when it comes to these distractions Mm. in our life. Mm. Yeah, no, very good. Um, look, lots to lots to learn and read about in the book. Um, so I want to encourage the guys to go out there and pick up a book. Um, it is released September. Is that correct? September tenth. Uh, yes, in the U.S. it'll be September tenth, and then uh, worldwide it'll be on October seventeenth. October seventeenth. So by the time this is out, guys, you'll be able to go and uh, get a copy there, or at least uh, pre-order a copy anyway. I'll stick the links in the show notes, and definitely uh, if you haven't already. Um, maybe even start with Hooked because I think it's a fantastic book, and this is sort of the uh, the the opposite end of the spectrum, helping us become unhooked. I guess. Very good. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Nia. Thanks for coming on the show, and I uh, appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Guys, check it out thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. 
You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Manutzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.